welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. This kingdom we sing of, as you read in the Beatitudes, understand that it's not a kingdom without first, but it must become a kingdom within. The people in Jesus' day, he constantly had to fight this mindset of them looking for a physical kingdom in the here and now. But he always turned it and said, you must first look within, that this kingdom you seek, it's first within before it comes without. And so if you can begin to let this be the anthem of your life, to posture yourself, to say, come hell or high water, when I'm on the mountain, when I'm in the valley, that the kingdom of God is my focus and it will be first place. It will have no rival. And the king of this kingdom, because it's a king's domain, his name is Jesus. And when you focus on the king, his domain becomes a reality in your life. So Jesus, we center ourselves, we focus ourselves. We say mature us Holy Spirit. Give us the mindset of the Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. And allow this, wherever we're at, where we need the seedlings of meekness, we need the seedlings of when I step into places and spaces where it might cause a little persecution, it might cause my flesh to have to be laid at the altar that I would see that there is a great reward, that there is an exceedingly and abundant resource and providence in His grace and mercy that is available to us when we seek Him. So Father, we lift our hands as a sign of surrender. It says, ask and He will. We don't pray amiss, we don't ask amiss, but when we're seeking Him first, our ask doesn't look carnal and fleshly. So if you're wondering why you're not getting that material thing or that new car or something, you've got to understand that that's not the mindset of what he's saying there. He's saying that when you seek first him, you're not asking for carnal things and fleshly things. You're asking things of the spirit. So Jesus, we ask that you would come and fill this place, fill our hearts, that Jesus would be real, that people would see he's real that there's a personal relationship available for us, that there's depth in the things of God, no matter where we're at, what we've done, who we are, who we're becoming, Jesus can still be first place today. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we surrender to what you wanna say, what you wanna do in this place. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen, well, you can be seated. pray you've been blessed already. Worship team, thank you. Can we thank them for leading us today? Pray you were blessed by that worship. And, you know, I was talking to our men on um, Thursday night that there is a, when you come into God's house, there is a a pre-workout, if you want to use this language. There is a, a preparedness that when you come into the house of God prepared, The measure you sow, as we've talked of in this series of cultivating a love for scripture, the measure you sow is the measure you will reap. 
And if you want to experience Jesus more, see the Lord's presence become more real and tangible in your life, prepare yourself before you walk into the house of God, before you worship. Because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not the worship's team to prepare your heart to receive him. You should already be at that place as you come into God's house. And trust me, I understand we've got guys that are, are working and doing, um, but from one dad to another, I'm changing a diaper 15 minutes before I walk in here, and I'm praying as I'm doing it. And um, there, to be prepared doesn't mean you have to be hit away or go up in an ivory tower and just think about nothing but him, though that is great if you can do that. But for the everyday Joe like myself, you've got to be intentional about how can I be attentive and focused? How can I seek the kingdom first while I'm getting up and getting ready to go to work for 10 hours a day or whatever it is? How can I get, seek first the kingdom of God when I'm ready to go, come on ZCA teachers, and love on children for eight, nine hours a day? But understand that there is a place in seeking him first that doesn't look like void all around you, though there is a secret place, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that today, but you can see him in all things yes. and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you acquire this mindset, um, it will take you to places in God of where you see him and you don't just look for him on Sunday when a, when a worship song starts or when the word of God is opened. And as we mature in this as a church and as we see God bless and do and grow and build, um, my heart is, is that we're just not getting more square feet as a church, but we're going deeper as a church, and as a byproduct, more square feet would be there. Understand this too, attendance in a church, though we had 96 adults in here in two degree weather last week, come on, you showed up last week, cold can't keep us down. Um, Understand that attendance doesn't bring the presence of God into the house of God but it's a hunger that does. And there can be four or five people that are hungry and he will be there. But just because there's a lot of us here isn't a sign that God is even blessing it or that his hand is on it. And so as we grow or attendance would grow, uh, understand that that is not the aim and that, and that is not the goal and that we check our hearts and we check our motives in that. And maybe it's more for me than it is for you, but at the same time, it's, it's always allowing the washing of what the real gospel is. Because what we're gonna see today, Jesus is gonna confront the Pharisees when they ask him for a sign. They ask him for a display, for a, a wonder, for a miracle. And what I, I pray you see through this um, encounter, Jesus with the Pharisee, and what he says their sign is, is that you look at the Pharisee within you because it's all there somewhere, even in the place of it might not look like a hat and a robe of this tradition or this religion we're shaking off, but dead religion can simply be this, is anytime I think if I do X, Y, Z, then God is entitled to show up now. I'm entitled to God to show up because I I sang four songs, I have my Bible open, and I'm doing all of this outwardly stuff, so now, by de facto, God has to show up. And he just 
chuckles, right? But what we've got to understand, there are certain things we do in the physical, yes, to get us moving because tradition is formation to get us formed in the right place. But if your heart is absent of that, you are missing it completely. You're missing the deeper thing that God wants to do in the church service versus you just singing. How much better is it when you're singing from a heart of gladness, from a heart of joy, from a heart of praise, from a heart of thanksgiving? If you put the scripture up, I believe it's Psalms 104. And this is even instruction for the corporate gathering. Is it says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. We're not blessing any other name, any other pastor, any other worship song. A church that is focused on the kingdom blesses one name, and his name is Jesus. And I want you to think about Thanksgiving for a moment. The act of Thanksgiving is you are giving something. It's in the name. You're giving thanks. You can keep that up there for a second. So when you bring Thanksgiving, you're just not sitting and soaking and bringing a, a posture of thankfulness, though that has its, has its place. But when you come into his gates, you're ready to give thanks. And there is a action associated with that. Understand this too, it's not necessarily a volume level, but at the same time, we should hear the name of Jesus bless. We should hear the word spoken. We should hear joy, right? Joy has a sound, it's not quiet. But look then what it says, and enter his courts with praise. So when you get to the place of his heart, when you get deeper into the chambers of who God is, praise isn't just you being thankful for what the Lord did in your life. But does anybody have a testimony? We all should. And we are forever thankful and we praise out of that place. But praise goes deeper. And this is in, in, in bringing the connection, the chain into the link of cultivating a love for scripture is we praise because ultimately what he has done through the life of the scriptures, through decades and millennia of how the Lord has moved revealed in the scripture. When you read the Old Testament stories, they're no longer stories, but they should elicit praise from us because the same God who delivered there delivers me today. And I thank God for that consistency. I thank God for that pattern. And there is a praise that comes when you open your Bible, and even when you shut yourself away in the secret place, there should be thanksgiving and praise. If you want to know what posture you go into when you close the door behind you and you pray and you read your scriptures, you go into that place with thanksgiving and with praise. And when you have that mindset and that attitude, I guarantee you, you will meet with the Lord. And Look at the, our world today. It is the opposite of this. It is cynical. It is critical. Its mindset and its folly says, you don't need all of that. Um, you know, by de facto, yes, there is a, a presence of God that, that is within us. But where I'm getting at today, we want the abiding presence of God that shows up and that he remains. Because yes. yeah. isn't there a power? We know he's here. But it's another thing when he remains, yeah. when we're blessing him. 
you know, this is something Pastor Joyce would labor for him. Um, and, I, and I take to heart. And if you got your giving statements, we emailed those out and, um, for your year-end stuff. And we always put just a letter together that just tries to encompass the heart of a few things. And something we put in that was uh, the things that Pastor Joyce labored for, I very much by deep conviction am continuing on. This is not just a start and stop from what she did to now what Pastor Garrett is doing. But there is a continuation. As we, we've been saying, he's not just the God of Jacob in the Bible, but he is the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, and he's the God of Jacob. And many of us just want to look at what's Jacob doing, but no, no, no. This comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how God is known through legacy. And so, as we step into this place, understand that there, there is a place with Jesus that I believe he's wanting to take us, wanting us to draw in closer to, wanting us to have more devotion with. And it is, you've got to get this out of your head, that I am coming to gathering place to check a box. You know, I'm excited for something... Um, Pastor Joyce would always desire, and I was uh, telling Lisa this, we were talking uh, that she loved stringed instruments, the violin, the cello, some of these just instruments that touch you at a place um, that maybe the drums don't necessarily, that they even elicit kind of a thanksgiving where drums might elicit more of a praise, right? And so we... um, we have a violin teacher here, and Alex actually learning violin, and I have him on call. It's like, when you get comfortable with violin, let's go. Yeah. So pray for Alec. Uh, but his teacher, who is a spirit-filled Christian, um, we asked her, would you bring your ensemble in our Good Friday service? Would you have this beautiful string and cello service as we just worship the Lord and as we focus in on the cross? And I believe it's just gonna be a a special moment. We asked her, would you do a special on Easter with your stringed instrument? And then I had to control myself as as pastor and say, would you wanna join our church while you're in the process of that? (laughs) But I love her and we're we're joking with her. Your beard is scratching the mic. It is scratching the mic, okay. It's a good wife right there. We're scraggly this morning. If you hear it again, just tell me. Oh, it's on the live stream, okay. They're not really here. They don't matter, okay. <laughs> but what I want you to see is there is, this is a season of, of intentionality. And um, what we say, what we do, how we do it matters. And what you see happening, if people ask questions and say things like, you're trying to build this kind of caliber of building, in inflation and in an election year. You're trying to do X, Y, Z, and you're doing it with 60, 70 people. The, the, the math and the money doesn't add up. But what, what you've got to understand in God's economy and in God's kingdom is being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is this just isn't we felt something, here we go. This is years of hard decisions and men and women of God in this church saying yes consistently week after week after week after week after week. Giving when it was hard. Showing up when it wasn't easy. Raising up kids. Keeping a school when it didn't make sense. To get us to this place to say all of this is like a wave that has been coming and it will beautifully crescendo into us seeing God build it, not us build it. 
And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be. Where he does it, and we flow with him in it. And again, in building this, it isn't just in square feet, but it is a way to look at it because that is happening. But where I'm getting more toward is let's get to the place of the heart where he is building it, he is doing it. There is trust and fidelity and loyalty and faithfulness between you and him that no man can break. Because when it comes to the things of God, in your secret place and in your quiet place, things I say to you can touch you in one level based off what I'm getting out of this. But there are places that he only moves and it's in when you go in, close the door, and you pour your heart out. And he touches you in that place. And so in the sign, as we see, Matthew 12, 38 through 41, we're gonna look at Jesus and Jonah. As we've been looking at cultivating a love for the scripture, let's remember um, that to love the scripture, we've got to love the Old Testament. And many of us, we've grown up in traditions that say, throw that away, get to the new covenant. But you've got to understand, when Jesus taught the scriptures, he taught the Old Testament. And so there should become a depth and a place to truly appreciate what Jesus has done. You've got to love the old and where it started and essentially understand the grandparents that you've never really talked to or that you never sat and spent time with and allowed those scriptures to all point to Jesus. So... um, and you gotta think this as well. If you're a Jew, if you're a Jewish person, uh, which Jews read the Old Testament, but if they don't understand the typology and the Christophanies that these all point to Jesus, then when you read things like when Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac willingly, the scripture says, had to go up the mountain as the sacrifice, it looks like a vicious, mean story that's torturous because you're not seeing Christ in that. So if you don't see Christ in the scriptures, then you're gonna not get the totality. They're just gonna be historical accounts and factual data, but you're never getting to the fullness of all of this points to the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. So what we see here is Jesus would constantly and continually, when he would talk to Pharisees, his apostles, always go back to the Old Testament and he would bring these truths and these signs. He would reference these Old Testament characters, these prophets. And so in Jesus, when he would teach, this would be the mindset he would have. And I pray through this that we begin to acquire and attain that as well. It says this, it says, the scribes and Pharisees ask for a sign. That's what we're about to read, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Don't many of us do this with Jesus, by the way. Yeah, we have your word, but we want to see a sign. But he answered and he said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Amen. This is Jesus. Jesus talking here, but they can't see it. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. 
So Jesus is getting a little spicy, which we do, which we see a lot in his confrontation with the Pharisees. And Jesus, you gotta understand, was not afraid of conflict, was not afraid, if you read back in context of verse 12, he just finished healing a demoniac, which was someone who was mute, um, deaf, and blind. And he did an amazing miracle, and they accused him of operating in the power of demons, which just always blows my mind that you accuse the Lord of being full of demonic power. That's how much you can miss it. So they accuse him of this, um, and it would, it would say in other places, as you read through verse 12, or chapter 12, that they would then go and plot of how can we get rid of this Jesus? How can we get him out of here because he is just turning everything up and he's um, claiming to be this God? So when he says, now fast forwarding to where we're at here, that they wanted a sign, they just saw a sign. They saw a man healed, um, but when you are operating in a religious spirit or you're operating from a place, you want that which feeds how you wanna see it. And ultimately, when there's somebody who wants something from you only to manipulate you or try to get you, um, they're not looking for a sign to say, okay, I get it, you're right, I'm, I want to now serve Jesus even more because of what you just showed me. And what you've gotta understand about Jesus is he's not for sale, he's not for display, he's not the toy you pull out of a Cracker Jack box and you get entertained with, for some of you. Uh, maybe that's a good analogy. Throwing cra- Woody's waving his hand, the Cracker Jacks are in his day. Um, but what, you got, what we gotta see is that when we come to church even, we're not entitled to get a sign. And when it's a sign, they're asking for a wonder, they're asking for a miracle. This would be very common language in this. You read through the Gospel of John, it's all used as signs because Uh, which ultimately means a wonder or a miracle they wanted Jesus to do. And what I want us to see through this is as we grow closer to the things of God, um, we can sing songs, and if we don't have the right mindset, ask and he will, then we think we can just show up and say, God, do a sign. I'm asking, I'm seeking first the kingdom. Now you have to do this. And anytime we say that God has to do something, we have the wrong attitude and the wrong posture in the first place. Again, a, the Jesus way, when all of this tradition and religion is shooken up, it should look more like a cross because that's his way, that's his heart, that's his path. So anytime you get things shaken up or you're looking for a sign and then you have more of an ego and you come out of the prayer closet with more pride, you've got to check yourself because many times we call pride and ego authority when Jesus says, no, real authority looks humble. Yes, it's good. Mm-hmm. In a charismatic type church, we've gotta be careful of that, that our authority looks humble, it doesn't look prideful. Yes. So, they're asking for this miracle, and they wanna see something physical. Um, John 21, 25 even says this. This is the end of the Gospel of John, and I think this, keep this in mind, of when you read the scriptures, and I find this amazing. It says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. Wouldn't you love 
to have at least just one of those books, of the, just all the things Jesus did. And this speaks to a bigger picture that Jesus is far bigger than our imagination. He's far bigger, bigger than what we think of. And he moves and does and embodies a power, a source, an authority that we can barely even scratch the surface of. And so you've got to see that um, in the totality of what Jesus is doing, that we're a part of even that book that Jesus is writing because he's doing things in your life very personally, very things in secret that you're not telling anyone, you shouldn't be telling anyone. Um, but there's a secret place that you have with the Lord that it's supposed to stay that way. And uh, I wrote this down, that part of the weakness of our Western culture and mindset is that we want God to be proven by an external reality. That we just can't take him at his word. That we have the reality of who he is, but when there becomes a petty situation in our life, we lose it and we get emotional and we roll and cry on the floor and we want God to give us a sign where he's saying, have you even opened the sign that's right in front of you? So in cultivating a love for the scriptures, you're staying with the sign who is Jesus and you're not just looking for a sign that fancies you or that just makes sense or when you need something in the moment but you're, you've cultivated a place with him that that is developed and that is uh, watered. So in this, when Jesus says you're, you've asked for a sign, you're not going to get one because of how you're asking and the heart you're coming forth then, but here is your sign and he brings up Jonah. And we could go into flare out into an old, old teaching of Jonah, but Jonah is a prefigure and a type of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as you read into the chapters in the books of Jonah, all you see is death, burial, and resurrection when you read it with the lens of the cross. So Jesus is pulling into this, and one thing I will bring out about Jonah is you read in the opening pages in the first chapter is Jonah, when he was told or commanded by God to go to Nineveh and he rebelled and he went the other direction and you'll see the details of the distance between Nineveh and the other city that he was fleeing to. And the other city he w- Jonah was fleeing to was somewhere between 800, um, you know, to uh, 800, um, I forget, it, it wouldn't be miles, but however they measured in that day. I'm a Bible teacher, we're getting into math, so you better be careful. Um, but what you gotta understand is it, the principle is it would take far more, much more work going in the wrong direction than if he would have just went in the right direction. And this is what rebellion always does. We think when we start running from God that we're gonna get the fix or we're gonna get the relationship or we're gonna get the peace that we want, but you're actually working that much more harder when you go the wrong direction. I would say it this way, it's always better to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. So at first it's hard, but it's gonna bless you. And the wrong choice always looks easy, it has a good uh, appearance, it's appeasing to the eye. And so Jonah in his stubbornness and in his rebellion just entered into a place of now where God had to begin to work on his heart and had to touch places of his flesh to bring him to a place of repentance. So when Jesus is confronting the Pharisees of you want this display and you want this sign and you want this wonder, Well, you're now getting categorized and put in the box and in the camp of the people of Jonah, of the Ninevites. 
And he, you even read on what we just read, verse 40, 41, 42, that even the Ninevites, and this is mind-boggling, this is how cold-hearted and heartless the Pharisees were, even the Ninevites would eventually repent at the preaching of Jonah when he got his act together. And there would be repentance when he gets out of the belly of the well. And what Jesus is saying here, the Son of God is standing in front of you. Jonah preached a, a doom and gloom in the physical that was coming, but Jesus talked about this interior kingdom that if you don't get it right, your soul is, is destined toward hell. And so he's preaching of a, of a gloom and a day that is far more deeper and darker than even Jonah did, but Jonah, who was not Jesus, but was given the gift by God to preach the message that God gave him. The Ninevites even repented, but here is the Son of God in the flesh standing in front of them speaking this, and they would not repent. I mean, do you see the level and the depth of this? So he, he's getting at a place of, and essentially he is, they would connect with Jonah that he is fulfilling prophecy right in front of us, Jesus is, because he's saying, like Jonah, who would have to go into, be swallowed by the belly, uh, by the well, and go into the belly of the well, which means um, that there would be a type of death. Because there was a lot of even when Jesus went into the tomb, people would say, "Oh, he really didn't die; he never really fully died." But the scripture says that he went into the heart of the earth, which me, which represents that there was death; that he went to the deepest part of the earth. Jonah went into the belly of the well, the deepest part of the well. And so what we've got to see and what we've got to understand is that, again, the burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus is all over the scripture. And it's pointing to this, that this is the message of our life, the anthem of our life is, is Christ and him crucified. And there is no Jesus outside of that. And all the scripture and its totality point toward this. You know what I love about Jesus too? And this is just a good leadership. This is a good parent thing if, if you're managing anybody. Um, people would say in this, of when Jesus resurrected, which he did appear to some 500 people in his resurrected body, is why wouldn't then Jesus go in front of Herod in his resurrected body? Why wouldn't he go in front of Pilate? Why wouldn't he go in front of the Pharisees and say, I tried to tell you. I told you so, Right? He doesn't do this, and it's not in the scripture that he did. But he went to back to those who loved him, and those who looked for him, those who ran to him, those even that did reject him, Peter, but there was restoration on that beach side. But he never went back to his enemies who he did give a chance to repent. Because here's the thing, and this goes into the scripture of don't throw your pearl among the swine. When Jesus stood even in front, when Pilate shuffled him into the courts of Herod, Herod uh, says, are you gonna do a sign for me? Kind of has this sensual approach to Jesus. Are you gonna show me and I'll let you go? And Jesus does not even do a sign then. Jesus in the wilderness, uh, when he's being tempted by Satan after his baptism, Satan time and three times tries to get him to do a sign. Turn this rock into bread and just feed yourself. But you've got to understand he takes no demand from anyone. And when you ask in a wrong way to get him to do something, you turn him off and you reject him away. 
and where I'm trying to get you in your prayer life that you can't approach with this kind of pride and say, Jesus owes me this sign. Because it has the opposite effect. And so Jesus in this, uh, he doesn't get flustered. He never has an I told you so display when he is in his resurrected body and goes and says, if you, if you would have just listened then, you wouldn't have been so um, dismayed now. And so what you've got to understand about Jesus is that he is who he is and you take him or you leave it. That's why Jesus even says around the communion and around the body and blood of Christ is there's some of you that will walk away from this place. So Jesus was very aware that there will be people that will walk away because he's just too much for them or they can't see him or they don't want to see them in their ego and in their pride and there's a veil over them. And my heart, my prayer is that we're not a people that cannot see him. But we journey into the depths of God and say, in this life that is very short, that is very futile, um, that can end in any moment, if you've ever lost a loved one, you know how fragile life is, that my whole life be centered and focused around seeking this kingdom, not seeking my kingdom and say, here's my kingdom, God, now you bless it. Here's my life and my dreams and my ways, bless it. But it's posturing ourselves saying, what is your way what is your heart, and I'm gonna fall in line with that. This is what drives me um, in recent years of my life is we know more about dreaming with God than we do about the incarnation, resurrection, and person of who Jesus is. We know more about these self-help type messages to get us better and to make us better, but we don't know the stuff of the gospel because it's the stuff of the gospel that actually sends the devil running out of your life. Not how good your dream is with God. Though I love that you have a dream, I have a dream, we all have a dream. I'm not speaking against that, but that can't be the core of what drives you. Let the dream be the byproduct. But you've gotta get the stuff right first. That's why it says seek first the kingdom and then all will be added but we wanna add all the stuff and then say, is there any room left for the kingdom in here? So we've gotta make room and we've gotta always be making room for them. We preaching good today? All right, so as we close with this, and Corey, if you would help me close, I wanna just look quickly. Um, at your secret place because the greatest goal of a pastor in a church is when you let this, let the Sunday morning obligation for some of you, some of you the Sunday morning joy for most of you, um, let the Sunday morning be the icing on your cake with your time and walk with God. But if you can get the handlebars, some of us need the training wheels to get a secret place going with the Lord, it changes everything in your life. What you're getting from me today should just be the icing of a week filled in, in the secret place with God. But understand, I have a couple kids in the secret place because I can't just close the door completely. I gotta bring them in with me and we just figure it out as we go. It's for a season, but it's a good season. I wrote this down too. Let it never be said of anyone on this platform, 
obviously including myself or anyone in any kind of place where you're leading anyone in our school, in our church, that we become expert at his corporate movement and amateurs at his private touch. We can't hide behind God did something in a corporate setting, but there's an absence of a private touch. If you want to see the fall of the evangelical church that is happening all around us, it's because there is no more private touch. And as we grow, the private touch has to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. But I can't give you a private touch of him. That has to be found between you and him. So Psalms 91, one through two. We love Psalms 91. And this is the safety of the abiding presence of God. If you want this safety and this security, it can be found. And there is a place you can go and get it. It says this, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God and him I will trust. What you see here is, um, many of us, we can read it this way if we look at our lives. He who checks into the secret place. He who flirts with the secret place. He who takes the hour and a half on a Sunday, two hours if I'm preaching good. But it says, he who dwells. See, this is your part. This is your participation. This is your, your what you do, how you walk and work with God is there has to be a dwelling because if you don't do the dwelling, then you miss out on the abiding. You miss out not just on him showing up, but him remaining with you through the day. I just don't want to start my day with Jesus. I want him to remain with me through the day. I want to give my best to God in my own broken state the best that I can. And that's only going to happen if he remains with me through the day. And there is a, a posture of dwelling with him. You know, this is in dwelling in the secret place. It's a life of secrecy, what Brianna was talking about. And we were talking about this the other day. Is how much in our social media-driven culture do we post all the wins? Do we post the highlights we post all the good parts of us, but we always hide the bad parts. We hide the sin. You know, most of us, the only thing we hide is our sin. But in the deep places of God, there is a life of secrecy that's there. When he does something, you don't have to go post about it. You don't have to share about it. That word that you got that brought you to tears when you were in that secret place because you're dwelling? Maybe it's not for everybody else. And trust me, there's times and places for that. But by de facto, we live in a culture that says you've got to keep your life so far out in front of everyone. Versus let's reel it back and say, you know what? The Lord works in secrecy. And I need to develop that in my life. And think through what I'm posting and saying and doing. But ultimately, that there are things that God wants to give you, but he can't because you're just gonna go give it out. It's supposed to 
to marinate a little bit? Do we let anything marinate anymore? Or we just microwave it and move on? Come on. We all have heard that before. I love this. A life of secrecy is like a coliseum that slays the idols in your life. And I was thinking the best way to say this, but the church at large has become so cheap. It's no longer holy. It's cheap. And we just do and we say and we don't think anything's sacred anymore and nothing's holy. We take no responsibility for personal holiness. We don't tame our tongue. And as we were talking of Timothy and we were getting into the spirit of a deacon in our men's Bible study and it says, this is how you conduct yourself in the house of God. That there's a conduct in the house of God. And if you think that the church is just when it's me and three other people standing together, that's an aspect of it, but the church is a place. It is a building that does have an altar that should be a holy place. And I'm telling you, as we grow, this is the posture of what we're growing into. But this life of secrecy is the place that you get the hidden addictions, the pornography, the lust, the secret affair, all of these things that you're hiding in sin, this is the place that it gets demolished. I want you to think of it this way. Who do we see this in someone's life in the Bible? Think of Samson. What was Samson? He had a secret, right? And what did the enemy do continually and constantly through Delilah? The scripture says that Delilah nagged and nagged and nagged. And that nagging would come and Samson would just tell a, a lie to get her off her back, off his back. And it would work. But eventually she just slowly kept beating at that breastplate of righteousness. Kept beating at that anointing that was on his life. And as he was cuddled up so comfortably, warm against her body, she whispered so softly and gently in his ear, See, many of us think the enemy just screams and shouts and comes with a pitchfork, but it comes with a sensual little whisper. In Delilah, her tone and her whisper would actually be that of a victim. She's the victim and I need your secret. The tone of the enemy will always make it appear that he is the victim. And if you give up to what this victim mentality is saying, then you'll be refreshed and you'll be blessed and it's, it's just the opposite. So he's cuddled up warm and he tells the secret, if you cut my hair, that is where I get my strength. That is, that is the, the symbol of my vow. And this is what's powerful. When you go and you read the story, <clears throat> it says the next day, you know, Samson thought it was like every other day. He would get up and here comes the Philistines and I'm ready to go to war. But, and this is the sad part of it, and this is how it happens, is he went to get up to fight the enemy, just like he did every day, and his strength wasn't there. It was gone. And it's because he gave into that sensual, small voice, gave up his secret. And this is a picture, the enemy is after your secret place. Judas betrayed Jesus where? in the garden, which represented Jesus' secret place of prayer. 
So the place that the enemy is always after is this place of fidelity between you and him because this is the concrete place of where you build fortitude and fidelity and resiliency and strength and, and, and you become a servant. This is where the things and the stuff of God is established in you. This is what he's after. You could even go to David. David invited Bathsheba, his mistress, into the king's chambers, into the closest place that was not reserved for anything unholy. The story can go on and on when you see great men and women and where God's judgment came in. It all first started at the enemy chipping away at the secret. This is where we have to bring it back where Jesus says, Matthew 6, 6, we know this. It says, but when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, do you see the fortitude you've got to put around your secret and your secret place? When you even look at the apostles before we finish reading this, there was a power and a boldness, a mystery that made them glow because they operated. When people saw them, they saw Jesus. That's the closeness of the miracles they did, the word they preached, that there was no mixture, but there was such purity. But here's what it says. There has to be fortitude. And it says, pray to your father it says it up here, who sees in secret. This translation says, this version of the New King James says, pray to your father who is in. So when you take a step back for a minute, why do I establish this secret place? Is because when I go in, somebody else is in there. <laughs> You're not just going in there and you know, not knowing what's going to happen, you're, you're going in there with confidence that he's already there waiting. And you just finally showed up. You're late. And so when you have this, there's, there becomes a running to him. There becomes a swiftness that we just don't mealy mouth and, and get soft foot around going toward him. But there is an excitement of this pursuit because that is where he is. And it says, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We want to be rewarded openly and shortchange any kind of private touch, any kind of secret place. But what I'm telling you today, the place of your growth with God, you cannot shortchange it. You cannot sidestep it. You've got to have the secret place. And it, it comes as if you can catch anything these last four or five weeks if you've got to have a love for the scripture because the Jesus and the Father and, and the spirit that you're seeking, this, tri- this triune God, is not in your imagination, but he is in the scriptures. So you've got to sit with him in the scriptures and allow what's in here to flesh out in here. It's this divine exchange. It's this watering of the word. It's this washing over your fallen mindsets If you want to defeat generational curses, you can name and claim all you want, and I believe you've got to speak the word, but if it never gets in here, you're just going to keep falling into these same patterns. If what you name and claim does not change you internally, you're missing the depth of what it it needs to be taking place here, the, the exchange of what needs to happen. So even when you go and you shut the door, 
Can you leave your phone outside? Can you leave distractions outside? There is a place with God, understand this, and maybe it's getting up a little earlier. Maybe it's, it's, it's baptizing your playlists on your phone. It's baptizing your Netflix playlist. I'm telling you, all of these things add up to where if that's what's feeding you, you're not gonna have a secret place because you don't see a need for one. And there's just practical things you can do as we're, many of you are trying to fall out or make resolutions happen. There has to be a separation. There has to be a holiness. And what I'm asking you as your pastor and challenging you, and what I'm challenging myself are these things that cannot just be skimmed over. They can't just be missed or handled lightly. Because what you do in secret, the hard work you put in here, the cross that you carry when nobody else sees, is where the reward of his presence openly comes into your life. This is just the tried and true, and we can't miss the depth of what this is and how God works and what his pattern is. If you'd stand with me, we'll prepare for communion. I pray the Lord is is stirring this place. Um, We got it. And as we prepare for communion, I want to share this thought with you, Dylan, if you would put it up. This is really the, the big idea of what we're talking today, of what you've always got to be on guard of. It's whoever or whatever you give the secret place away to will be the very person or thing that attacks your destiny, your assignment, your purpose, your calling, and God. What you give away to whatever thing or, or whatever person, you better make sure it's godly. You better make sure it's holy. Because giving that thing away, you can look again at all from New Testament to Old. There is consequence. There is a lifting of his pre- abiding presence. There is a lifting of his anointing. There is a lifting of his hand. And it puts the holy fear of God as... I never want to live this life and the the things I'm doing and saying void of repentance if it becomes habitual and willing that I do it without his hand and strength in my life. You with me on this. You want his hand to go with you and before you to him, you and behind and between and in all places of your life. But we can't check in. We have got to dwell. And when we dwell, we will abide. So some of us, our homework is to go and dwell. And if you want to look at a life that doesn't dwell, whose heart stays hard with God trying to use him is Jonah. Jonah, the chapter kind of ends abruptly. And you see his posture of his heart that he still has contempt and bitterness toward the Ninevites. That's why it says Jesus is the true and better. You even see, I think it mentions the... um, Put this up real quick again, Dylan. In um, Matthew 12, 38 through 41, it says in verse 42 that the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Hear this right here. 
for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So it says she went from one point of the earth, traveled who knows how long and how far and what conditions to this point of the earth just to sit under Solomon and hear more of a worldly wisdom where the Pharisees, again, standing in front of wisdom personified, couldn't realize the value of what was there. And this is what I pray is that we be like the queen of the south and we understand the wisdom that is in front of us that if she would travel from, far, from one point to the other, when we can't even pick it up because we've had a headache for the day, where we can't pursue him because it doesn't fit in our schedule. I'm just saying these are things that we've got to sift and we can't skim through. That the people that God would use greatly in the scriptures, they paid the price, they carried their cross, and they were willing to do whatever it took to seek first his kingdom. And for many of us, it is just first world problems that are getting in the way, if we're honest. To get these scriptures, and Kim, you'll come in a minute and share about CareNet, of why we do what we do. But even to get these scriptures, they came through the hands, the bloody hands of monks to preserve these. And we just treat him so flippantly. But let us be like the queen of the south as we take the body and blood of Jesus, that we would go to any lengths to keep the wisdom of God, to keep the mind of God, first and foremost, that anything fallen in us, and just let this be your prayer as we prepare to take communion, anything fallen within us, a whichever or a whoever that we are giving that secret place away to, the spirit of the Lord would raise up a standard right now that this life of holiness, this life of a gospel-focused life is not cheap. The blood that was paid for our salvation was anything but cheap. It was costly. And just like the woman with the alabaster, she didn't pour just a little bit on Jesus' feet when his body was anointed and the fragrance when he would have his triumphal entry on the back of the donkey to his get ready for his passion, the fragrance from that breeze that would blow, people could sense and smell those that went by Jesus because someone paid a cost to pour it out. If we want the fragrance of the Spirit to flow and fill the nostrils of this house, there is cost associated with it. Let us not be miserly. Let us not be indifferent, lazy, lethargical. But we want to pour it out. As we prepare the elements, as we take his body this morning. Many of you, as you're feeling a, a conviction, as you're feeling a place of, yeah, I need that to change. I need this to happen. If you want it to become real, and this is even for those of us in here that have forsaken the secret place. Understand when we take his body and blood and when we get come to him in repentance, he just doesn't take the mark of sin. He takes the weight of it. He takes the penalty of it. He takes the stain of it. He takes the past. He takes your, your present. You look into your future with hope that there is a cleansing that only the blood of Jesus can touch.
So Jesus, as your body was broken, we lift the body, we break the body as a sign and symbol. Jesus, as your body was broken for us, we ask that as we take this bread, this is why Jesus could be so mature, have the mindset he did as the son of God, have full control over his passions and over his members and modeled this for us. It's because he understood his assignment. He understood that anything publicly you see in him, time and time in scriptures, he went away and he prayed. So Jesus says, your body was broken for us. Let it touch the broken parts of our lives and bring maturity, healing, grace, and mercy. In Jesus' name, we take your body. Jesus, we thank you for this blood. Father, as we even think of Sanctity of Life Month, as we as a church surround our resources, our prayer, our love toward the unborn, toward mothers and fathers in need, as we get behind organizations that are on the front line, Father, we thank you that your blood speaks a powerful word, that your blood covers, your blood heals, your blood changes your blood when taken when seen rightly and correctly we want to bring thanksgiving because the sign we look for just as the sign you gave the Pharisees X marks the spot it looks like a cross so Jesus let this always orient to the cross let us take what we do with our head what we think with our head what comes to our heart and what goes through our hands. The scripture says, so as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Mindset matters. Jesus, we repent of sin. We repent of fallen mindsets. We repent of hidden things that have kept the secret place, the door locked. Today, through your body and blood, it's unlocked. And we go in confidently knowing you're there. And you're not going to smite us, but you're going to embrace us and love us and wash us and heal us in that place. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel Stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.